Good morning. Isn't it a blessing to be in the house of God? I've been blessed so far. Trust you have too. This morning, I would like to start off with a story about two different individuals. The story took place many, many years ago in a small town. The first man was a young man in his early 20s. He had life together. He had grown up in his childhood, had a great childhood, good parents who taught him well. He was given a good education by good scholars in the land. He had parents who cared about him. As he moved on beyond the younger years, he pursued some higher education, again with well-known scholars. He was taught well. He was, you could call him a prodigy for his ex excellency in thinking. He was very smart. He was a part of the church. He was religious. He was looked up to and respected as a young man. Well, like every young man, eyes set on a young lady. He found a young lady and was married. A tremendous young lady, an asset to him. So he had a wealth. He had training. He had an education. He was set up for success. His only question was, what should he pursue? Well, in this small town, a counselor advisor was in the area who was giving advice to people on their careers. He was intrigued by this because he wanted to find the best career for him to make an impact on society. So he reached out to this counselor advisor, scheduled a consultation, sat down with him, and he proceeded to tell the counselor his past, what he had, the wealth, the education, the good upbringing that he had. And he said, I'm at the place to make a difference. I've done it all, and I'm even a part of the church. I'm following Christ. The counselor said, good job, and commended him for all those things. And the young man said, but my question is, what career should I pursue? What would be best? The counselor smiled a little bit, looked at him, said, you know what, sir? You should pursue, just get a job here in the community and live like the average Joe for two years. Then, hopefully in those two years, you will have direction on a career that you can pursue. And because of your experience living the way the average Joe lives, you will be set up for more success down the road. The young man looked at the advisor second time. He stood up, shook the counselor's hand, and walked out and canceled all future consultations that he had scheduled. That's the young man. Over here we have an older gentleman, also prestigious, well-known, looked up to. Everybody went to him for advice. He had worked himself up from the lower class to a position of prominence. He was kind of those guys like Dan Hurst. You just want to sit at their feet and take it all in. Everybody respected him and sought him out for advice. He was the one giving advice from his past experiences in life. Well, he heard about this counselor, this advisor that was really making a name for himself in this small town. And he thought, 
wow, the reputation that this counselor has is very intriguing. So he scheduled a consultation with him. But he said, um, could we meet in a nearby town? Because I don't want my peers to see me meeting with an advisor because I'm the one supposed to be giving advice. The counselor said, sure, I'll meet you in a nearby town. So they met up, and the elderly gentleman told him his life story, where he came from. He said, I'm not really here for advice. I'm just here to ask you about the advice that you give. You continue to advise people to pursue excellency in the day-to-day -day instead of pursuing big careers. The counselor smiled, thought a minute, and gave an answer. And the answer he gave resulted in many consultations after that with this elderly gentleman. This gentleman who was in a position of prominence and knew it all. We see here two different responses to the same counsel. This young man thought he had it all together and he didn't like the counsel, the advice that he received. This older gentleman realized that he didn't know it all. And there was something this advisor had that he didn't get, that he didn't quite understand. We're going to come back to those two responses a little bit later, so hang on to that. This morning, I want to look at the life of Jesus and look at his model of dependence. I've entitled the message, Jesus' Model of Dependence. And as we look at the life of Jesus, I want us to admire Jesus' model of dependence that he portrayed and showed us so beautifully. And when we stand back and admire that dependent attitude that he portrayed throughout his ministry, I then want us to ask the question, what's our tone of dependence? Are we dependent? And we're going to talk about tone of dependence towards the end. Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, I was... A few weeks, months ago, I was reading through this. I forget if it was in a Sunday school lesson or somewhere. And verse 30 jumped out to me, and that's going to be my text verse this morning. We're going to pull one, one verse out here. We're going to look at uh, his life in context a little bit, pull out some areas from Jesus' ministry that portrayed dependence. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. In these words, Jesus tells, shows his dependent spirit, not upon himself, but upon his Father, God. And that's the real reason he was here on earth, to fulfill his ministry. Little context here. So this verse comes kind of at the time, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you, if you turn back, and we're going to give a brief overview of a couple chapters of John here, but at the beginning we see Jesus going out 
in John chapter 1, calling disciples to himself. The 12 disciples, he calls them. And this was common in, the, in this era. Rabbis would go out and call followers, and he would teach them, and they would follow him throughout uh, their, their journeys. So he calls his disciples. Chapter 2, then, we have one of the first, the first miracle, the miracle at Cana. He turns the water to wine. And everybody takes a step back. Who is this guy? He has now entered his public ministry. The first 30 years of his life, he was spent waiting, preparing. Now he is entering into his ministry. He performs the miracle, and everybody's, wow, who is this guy? He has now gone public. After the miracle at Cana, in John chapter 3, we have him meeting up with Nicodemus. And he lays out the salvation story so beautifully. Chapter 4, he meets the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And so beautifully again, reaches out to that group of people, the Samaritans, the underdogs. Chapter 5, actually end of chapter 4, Jesus heals the nobleman's son. Another miracle. Everybody stands back, wow, who is this guy? Chapter 5, he heals the man at Bethesda. And this was on the Sabbath day. So this verse 30 in chapter 5 comes after he had just healed the man on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders come to him and say, why are you healing on the Sabbath? He responds, I'm just about my father's will. Don't you get it? And then that even infuriated them further because now he claimed to be God's son. And then he moves on into this discourse saying, guys, it's not about me, but it's about my father. Right here, he was at a position to claim a little recognition for himself, yet he did not. You see, he had just performed miracles. He was just entering the spotlight. People were, this guy's cool. He was just starting to get a following. People were trying to figure out who he was. He was in a position of influence. And at this time, he could have claimed a little recognition for himself, but yet still pointing them on to the Father. Instead, what does he say? It's not me. It's God. It's my Father. Remember, the religious people, who were they looking for? They were looking for the Messiah. But they were looking for somebody, the Messiah, to conquer the Romans. So they were looking for somebody with power, with self-confidence. Somebody who could knock out the Romans. They were looking for the wrong thing. Jesus could have easily lived up to those expectations and came forward as somebody who knew it all. Who had all the answers. Who performed all the miracles. Yet he chose to not follow that. And he chose to point everybody on to his father. He could have proved he was someone, but he didn't. He chose complete dependence on his father. I can do nothing of myself. It's because of my father. And again and again, he chose that response. And I want us to give, give us a quick glimpse into that. And if you want, you can continue to page as we, we quickly, quickly give a uh, look at an overview of some of these things when he portrayed dependence. Chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000. Okay, so now his discourse is over here. He moves on. He's talking to all these people. These people are hungry. 
He not only tells of his dependence on the Father, he shows his dependence on others. He could have called baskets of food down from heaven, yet he chose a little lad with a small lunch. He, and then he asked his disciples to spread the food. He involved other people in this process, this miracle that he performed. He did not try to make a spotlight for himself. He brought other people in with him. A model of dependence. After that hard day of speaking to the 5,000 people, performing the miracle, what do we have him doing next? The disciples leave. They get on a boat to go across the lake. He stays there. And in the middle of the night, he just walks out on the ocean. Says, hey, how's it going? Oh, be calm. It's just me. He could have stayed after that day of ministry, stayed up in the mountains and took a nice rest. He would have deserved it. Yet he cared more about his disciples. He was dependent on his father's will, being there for his disciples, the people he was leading. He was worn and tired, but he put others first, a model of dependence. Moving on in the end of chapter 6, he talks about being the bread of life. Read down through chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread, eat me. And what are you going to get? You're going to see God. He was not the end, but he was the means to the end. He was showing, he was modeling that through me, you're going to get to the Father. I'm not the end. The Father's the end. You can get through me. He did not try to take recognition there. He pointed them to the Father. Are you starting to see that he is consistently pointing people beyond himself to the Father? In chapter 7, we see him entering the temple, and he's teaching there. But he says, this is not my doctrine, it's my father's. He didn't try to get up there and give a good discourse. He could have. He could have, and he did. But he could have stood up there and claimed that recognition for speaking well and presenting truths that the people were like, wow, this guy understands a lot. Instead, he says, I'm sorry, guys, this is not mine, but it's my father. A humble response. He was being dependent on his father. And he was again and again showing that. It's not my doctrine. Chapter 8, a woman caught in adultery. The religious leaders bring in a woman who they had caught. And they said, hey, Jesus, this woman committed adultery. What should we do with her? They had stones in their hands. How does he respond? Calmly forgives. An independent person tries to point out the faults in others to make them look better. Jesus didn't do that. He got beside the woman and said, Hey, if any of you guys have sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. A model of dependence. End of chapter 8 is our last one where we're going to stop. They tried to stone him, they were infuriated. And at these moments, I wish Jesus would have just called fire down from heaven or something and showed who he was, but he didn't. Instead, he quickly slipped away, out of the spotlight. He didn't want to be recognized. He wanted them to see the Father. He was dependent upon God's timing. It wasn't the timing to reveal all his power at this time. You're starting to see a model of dependence again and again, and you could continue on and on and on throughout his life consistently, not wanting to take any recognition, 
but pointing them on to God. These are signs of complete humility. Dependency takes humility. And this is what confused the religious people because they were independent. They wanted to be right. They wanted to have it all together. It didn't, it didn't make sense that this guy, when they argued with him, they didn't, he didn't fight back. He said, no, it's, it's my father you're arguing against. It's not me. So, complete dependence turned into the ultimate ministry of peace and love. Because he was dependent on his father, people saw that this guy was humble. They saw that he was pointing them to something better. And they wanted that. The religious leaders, it made them mad. Because they wanted the independence. They wanted the power that they thought they should have. Many were drawn to this model of dependence that Jesus showed. As I sat back and looked at the life of Jesus and his model of dependence, I want that model of dependence for my life. Dependent on my Father, God. Dependent on others. There's a difference between dependent and independent. Do we know the difference? Dependent means relying on something or somebody else. Independent, I got it. I can do it. I don't need anybody else. That's the difference. And there's a, there's a place for both. You know, sometimes being independent is okay. And it's, it's interesting to watch children as they grow. Uh, Katori's at that stage where she likes to do things by herself. And it's, it's an all right thing. It's fun to see her pursue those. And then you have the teens when they come to that. They get their license and they want to be independent. There's a place for it. For stepping up to the plate. There's also another ditch of being too dependent. And in the culture today, too many people are too dependent on others. They want everybody to do everything for themselves. That's a subject for another time. Dependent versus independent. Do you want to be dependent? The impact that Jesus had on those around him was tremendous because he was dependent on somebody else. And I hope if I would ask the question, we would all raise our hand. Because when we are dependent, we show it's not about us, but about somebody else. How do we start down that road of being dependent? First step, recognize our weakness. I would like to read a verse from 2 Corinthians 3. You can turn there with me. 2 Corinthians 3. Paul is writing here to the church at Corinth. And he, he, he's writing, writing to them, and he says, Do we need a letter to recommend us? And jumping in at verse 4, And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who hath made us able ministers. Our sufficiency is of God. In and of ourselves, we're insufficient. We don't have it together. We need to recognize that we're dependent upon others. And it starts the whole way from, from birth. The only reason we're here is because our mom carried us in the womb, gave birth, raised us, took care of us at our younger years. We were dependent on our parents. 
Today, some of us think, ah, we're pretty independent. Really? The only reason you have a job is because somebody else has needs. The only reason you have food is because somebody else is preparing it. And then there's those smart ones that saying, well, I can move up to Canada in the Wild West and shoot my own game and live, fend for myself. Sure, go try it. I'll, I'll watch. We are dependent and we can't deny it. We are dependent on others. And when we recognize our weakness, recognize that we are dependent on others, that is the first step. And I think that everybody sees our weaknesses and our dependency. Everybody sees it. Well, you might be thinking, oh, some people are pretty cocky. They don't, I don't think they see their dependency. I think they do. It's just they respond differently. If we look at our lives, we all see areas of, I wish I could be better at this. I wish I would have done differently here. We see our mistakes. We see our weaknesses. But it's how we respond to that is what defines if we're dependent. Our tone of dependency matters here. Once we see our weaknesses, we need to recognize it and acknowledge it. Then we can move on to the second step which is the big question, what's our response? When we see weaknesses, when we see we're dependent, what's our response? Do we want to act like Mr. Tough Guy? Or do we want to say, no, I don't got it. It's somebody else. Our tone of dependence makes a difference. Now, occasionally we're at an event and me and my wife will get in the car afterwards and we'll be driving home and we'll be talking about what went, what, what went on and sharing our conversations that we had and my wife might be sharing a conversation she had with another person, and I'll look at her, why'd you say that? Why'd you respond like that? She'll look at me and give her reasoning, and well, conversation continues a couple miles down the road, things start getting quiet. I sense some moodiness over on the other side. Honey, what did I say? Oh, you didn't like what I said to that person. I just asked why you said it. And I stopped, and she says, well, your tone suggested you didn't approve. Oh, yeah. My tone of voice affected the way she received it. Oh, my tone mattered. If I would have been said, honey, huh, that's interesting. So just curious, why'd you, why'd you respond like that? Ah, did you hear the change in my tone of voice? It's a little more I care. You see, tone of voice, and you can think, uh, I, I see a husband and wife just smiling away because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Tone of voice makes a difference. The tone that we portray to others makes a difference. You see, I can say, oh yes, I'm dependent on God. But inside, I have, I wish I was independent. And I'm trying to do everything I can by myself. Our tone of dependency makes a difference. Tone can be defined in different things. Tone of voice, color tones, music tones, okay? And it all changes the outcome. Our tone of dependency is what matters now. When we see our weaknesses, what tone do we portray what we, out of what we say and what we do? Does it express dependency or does it express in being independent and wanting to do it all myself? Now we're going to come back to those two stories. 
There's two stories were actually allegories of stories from the Bible. Did you connect the dots? The first one, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. He had everything all together. He was, had wealth. He had affluence. He even uh, uh, followed the laws. He came to Jesus and says, hey, what can I do to enter heaven? Oh, yeah, I followed the laws. I'm good. Jesus turns to him, sell all that you have. That's when he turned and walked away. He didn't like that advice. When he saw that he had a weakness, he didn't like it. And he wanted to take care of it on his own. The older gentleman was Nicodemus. He lived a life of affluence and prestige. He was one of the top religious leaders. Yet when he heard, when he saw what Jesus was doing, he went to him and he went by night so his ears wouldn't see. And he says, Jesus, who are you? You've got something that we don't understand, that we don't have. And he was in the position when he knew life, he had life by the tail. Everybody looked up to him and respected him. Yet he, when he saw that he had a weakness, when he saw that Jesus had something that he didn't have, he said, oh, I need that. And if you look at uh, John chapter 7, when they were questioning if they should go capture Jesus, Nicodemus actually stands up and says, hey, shouldn't we give this guy a fair chance? A fair trial? Two different responses when they recognized that they had a weakness, something they had to change. And if we look at Jesus, his tone of dependency throughout his ministry was consistent. So when we see our weaknesses, what's our tone? How do we respond? Do we respond like the young man and turn around and want to do our own thing? Or do we respond like the older gentleman who says, you know what? Even though I am wise, I, I lived a, a good life, there's something I don't have. And independency often comes from a, a big word called individualism when it's it all matters about me. And it's in society today. There's a big push that your opinions, your ideas, what you want to do, what you want to act like, you can do. It's all about you. And we say it's out there in the world, but I'm afraid it might be creeping in. And when we start thinking about those individualistic thoughts, that it's all about me. That's when we go down the road of being too independent. And we lose our dependency on others and God. And you see, in, if you look at society, you see a big push that it all matters about you and what you believe, what you think. But when we look beyond ourselves, what do we see? We see other people. We see other people, what they're facing what they're going through. And that takes our focus off of ourself. That moves us away from being independent and being it towards dependency on others. I tend to recognize I'm dependent. I, yes, I need God. I need you. But it's one thing to say it and it's another thing to live it. Do we show it? Back to our tone. What is our tone of dependency? 
Do we show that we're dependent on God, on others? Or do we try to act like we have it all together? And this is where I fall short. Our tone is portrayed through our actions. We say we need God and others, but do we show it? A couple, couple practical questions I'd like to ask here to close. Sometimes when you're facing something, we, we don't want to pray about it right at first because we want to just fix it ourselves. That's independent. Do we try to do tasks without bothering to ask someone else for assistance? In the era that we're in, we have a lot of things. We have a lot of tools, resources to perform things by ourselves. But do we ask for assistance when we need it? Just the other week, I put up a wash line and I wanted to do it by myself, and I did. But then I started studying and I realized, you know what, I failed there. A second set of hands would have been perfect. You ever, you ever get experienced that in your life? And why I say that is because what we do in the physical will affect the spiritual. When we try to act like we have it all together physically and knock it out ourselves, before long we'll try to think that, oh, we're an okay person. And we start losing our dependency on God. Do we show that we have time for others? We're dependent on other relationships. Showing there is more to life than just ourselves. So many times I say, oh yeah, we should meet up or we should do this. I don't schedule it because I care too much about myself. Do we pinch our pennies in a way that we never need financial help? We're so concerned about the dollar. Yeah, because we're going to take care of ourselves. Now, I'm not advocating against saving your money. But what does dependency on others look like on God? Faith. Do we play into other people's expectations? Jesus could have easily played into the religious leader's expectations, proving he was somebody. Yet he chose not. He pointed them to God the Father. Sometimes we act like we don't need help. I do it. I have an independent nature. Do we not confess sin? We talked about in our Sunday school lesson the dangers of sin. But we, we don't want to talk about things we're struggling with because how it's going to make us look. That's being independent. That's not dependent. Ordering our life in a way to be self-sufficient is pushing us toward independent tendencies. Let me say that in a little shorter. When we have things we need, it's harder to rely on others. When we have things we need, it's harder to rely on others. So do we put ourselves in a place where we have everything we need? Or do we put ourselves in a place where we trust God so we can ask Him for assistance and others in our life? And back to it, the physical, I, say, I asked some practical questions here at the end, but the physical tone that we portray will carry over into the spiritual. And our spiritual dependency upon God is what matters most. So as we looked at the life of Jesus, I hope we see the impact that Jesus' model of dependency had on his followers. They wanted it. And when we're dependent on somebody else, people like that because they see a guy who doesn't have it all together. 
It's a contrast to many of the kings that we talked about in our Sunday school lesson. The slow downfall. They wanted to do it themselves. When we see Jesus' beautiful model of dependency, how do we respond? Do we respond like the rich young ruler who wanted to go his own way, pursue his big career? Or do we respond like Nicodemus and say, you know what, I don't have it all together. I still need help. We might be asking the right questions, but is our tone what we portray showing dependence? Which stirs us to the question, what is our tone of dependence? What's your tone of dependence? Are you portraying dependence on others and God? Or do you act like you have it all together? And again, don't get me wrong, we shouldn't be focusing on how we appear to others. But when we portray dependence, that is a beautiful, beautiful demonstration of our dependency upon God. So let's be dependent. Let's show our dependency. Let's admire Jesus' model of dependency. He, was, he modeled it so well, we're supposed to be dependent on God and others. When we do that, let's check our tone. What tone are we portraying to others? Let's go be dependent people, not only on God, but on others, the community around us. Let's all stand. We will have a closing prayer. And afterwards, Damien can have a chorus of song. I will be at the back saying hi. I am battling with some poison right now, so we'll just go to the fist bump today, if that's all right. I'll omit the shaking hands. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And as we look at your life, we see a beautiful model of dependency. You didn't want to make a name for yourself. Instead, you pointed them to the ultimate source of peace and love, and that was God the Father. You were doing his will. And that's why we are here. And for me, you spoke to me that I should not be independent, but rather portray a lifestyle of dependency that points to you. And I pray that we could all see that this morning, admiring what you modeled for us and checking our tone and what we portray and aspire to model a life of dependency on you. Please take us as we go from here. Be with our families. Help us to serve you faithfully this week. In Jesus' name, amen.